Lost? Hate your job? Always wanted to follow a passion but don't know how? Today's sponsor has a book for you. Roadmap, the get-it-together guide for figuring out what to do with your life. It's full of self-discovery activities and wisdom from people who figured it out. People like Marvel's CCO, uh, professional chefs, sports journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. You can order Roadmap at theonlybookyouneed.com. I'm not sure if that's accurate. Theonlybookyouneed.com. So go check it out. It's a book club. It's reading aloud. My name is Nate Cordry. It is the fourth uh, book club episode of the show. And apologies to you guys for last week. I miscounted, Sam. We spent five minutes on the introduction for last week's show celebrating that it was our 10th episode. It was our 11th. So I have trouble counting. Um, but now I think we're, this is, tw- this is 12 I don't want to be responsible okay. for this. I don't know. We've Eleven does come after ten. Yeah, after what? Traditionally, well, yeah. yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say that we're going to follow tradition and use. Um, we're going to assume that math is real, and that this is the twelfth episode, uh, the fourth book club. We read um, Wolf and White Van, uh, The Love Affairs of Nathaniel P. Laughing Monsters, and now The Corrections by Jonathan Franzen, my guests today. There were supposed to be three guests, um, but the lovely Maria Thayer didn't do her homework, so she's punished. She's not here. Uh, but Julian Smolinski is here. Hi, Julian. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. I'm really excited. I have all kinds of opinions about this book. Uh, Mike Posolak is, is here as well. Hi, Mike. Hello, how's it going? Good. This is, is, this is your first... Um, Foray into the book club. Julianne is a uh, seasoned veteran. She was here for the nightmare that was the Laughing Monsters. It was a really fun chat, but the book was really... um, Yeah, kind of not the best. Not the... It wasn't the best. I haven't written a novel, so I feel bad saying that. (laughs) No, no, you can still have an opinion. It was no corrections. I wish Mm. that... um, that Dennis Johnson had asked you to write a quote for the book. Yeah. and And you could just write... Not the best. I've actually, I've actually, I've blurbed one book in my life. Whoa. It was, it was an, well, I mean, it was for a friend, but it was a yeah. nightmare because I was afraid that I was going to come up with something exactly like that. Not right. the best. Right. Which I'm on the said. fence. I'm on the fence about this. What did you write? Yeah. What did um, you say? I, I think that I ended up doing one of those really sarcastic, like, uh, this person is so talented, I want to kill them kind right. of things. Right, yeah. right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Fitzsimmons had a running bit on Stern because he asked Howard Stern to write uh, the forward to oh, his God. book. And Stern, of course, was like, no, fuck you, I don't have the fucking time. I barely know you. And it became this running bit. And it was great press for Greg, of course, and his podcast and his book. Uh, but he just said, no, like, I'm not going to do this. Because if I say yes to you, mm-hmm. then every single musician and actor who writes a book who's been on my show is going to ask me to write a blurb. And I don't have time because I need to <clears throat> spend my money. Yeah, I think I think Gary Steingart has a... Uh, moratorium on that too that too many people had asked him and his blurbs meant nothing anymore and exactly exactly yeah they lose their weight when it's like uh it's like an autographed pete rose baseball means nothing because that guy is signed 75 million baseballs yeah it's like like inflated currency he's exactly now exactly yes hey hey, Nate, real quick ask me what one of my uh, most cherished childhood possessions. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. Really? <gasps> yeah. But he's not from Ohio. He's, he's, uh, he, oh, yeah, he played for the Reds for a yep. long time. Yeah. Are you from Cincinnati? I'm from Columbus. Oh, okay. Cleveland. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. We got a fucking yep. Ohio yeah. powerhouse yeah. here. Yes. We show up and read the book. We do. I, yes. <laughs> Maria. Yes. yes. Yeah. She's from Montana. And yeah, she, they don't, they don't oh, read there. Nope. nope. Just rope horses. Just fly fishing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> fly fish with your horse. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, I, when, I, when I think of Pete Rose, I think him... I see him in like the, the the retro 70s Phillies gear. I should see him as a red because oh, yeah. he's an iconic red, yeah. of course. He's the, maybe the most famous of all the reds. Yeah. Um, but I see him in like that ridiculous haircut, oh, <laughs> and those yeah. striped, that awful cu- shade of purple that no one should have right, on right. their person, of that, that, those Phillies uniforms. Yeah, that hairstyle that's just a mop. 
like on yeah. top of your head. And it like that was an expensive haircut. Yeah. Like, that took time. Yeah, but then when you put a hat on it, it sort of ruins the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> or a helmet. Or a helmet. <laughs> yeah. A super there you tight. Go. <laughs> yeah. Um so hi. It's the book club. We we read Jonathan Franzen's The Corrections, a little background on this book. It came out in two thousand one. Uh ten days before September eleventh. Woohoo! Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people thought that September 11th and some of the reviews that I read helped this, helped push this book forward because of, because it's so, it's so filled with anxiety and fear and confusion. And people around the country were feeling that on their own and maybe felt comfortable reading a book that was just sort of bathed in that kind of behavior. Can I close this? Did he leave? Oh, I'm gonna leave that. <laughs> Still left. a book club, but the door. You laughed at 9-11 and he left. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's yeah. it, that's it. <laughs> hey, I was there. Um, but yeah, I think people thought that um, because the country was in such a tortured, confusing place, thank you, Sam, um, that people were drawn to the book because of that. I don't know if that's true or not, but. It's like that uh, Five for Fighting song. In what way? Um, you know, complexities of... No, I mean, like, that, that was, like, a huge song because of 9-11, right? The cyber fighting's Superman 9-11 song? was a bummer. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Superman or whatever that was. Oh. I, don't, I don't know that song. Yeah, well... I, I wouldn't know it if you played it, but... But, well, luckily but they I didn't write it. Yeah. Right. Can you right. sing a little bit of yeah. it? Yeah. Um, I'm not afraid to fly... Whatever, whatever that song, you know what I'm talking about. Shit, I don't know that I played song. it, like, no. every hockey game. And people stood up and I can't say as I've been to a lot of hockey games in after 9-11, but... Um, <laughs> Hockey's changed. <laughs> it really has. Post-9-11 hockey is not the same game. No. Uh, I also think, I don't know, thank you, in, in kind of rereading about this, you know, go, just going on the Wikipedia page and seeing yeah. when this came out, um, that's like one of the first things that reflects post-9-11 anxiety, even though it came out before... 9/11 and I think one of the advantages that this had is that it reads like like a book that came out after without having to actually address it because Reference, yeah. I feel like every book that came out within the next 5 years was like some novelist's take on yeah. 9/11 it was just kind of exhausting completely yeah 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 um it came out there's an article there's a um a collection of short stories um a little background on Franzen. He has uh, three novels that he's pub- published. The 27th City, which is about St. Louis, uh, The Corrections, and then Freedom. And there's a fourth coming out this year, later in the year, called Purity, supposedly. But he has a lot of short story and essays collections, and one of them is called How to Be Alone. And there is um, an excerpt from The New Yorker on a story about his father suffering from Alzheimer's and how he had to negotiate that and his relationship with his brother and his mother and how his relationship with his dad changed and basically slowly watching him die. And it's, it's obviously all of Alfred is his dad. Um, and I hate, it's sort of wasted time to kind of do detective work into like, you know, where is this from and why did he write this? But because he was so, because of this article coming out in the New Yorker, he was very specific, like, this is my dad. Mm. Um, and it won the National Book Award. It won the James Tart Black Memorial Prize. And he's also sort of famous for being a bit of a crank. Jonathan Franzen has like a bad reputation as being like a grumpy grandpa. Mm. He hates bas- e- ebooks. Hates them. Hates, hates ebooks. Mm-hmm. Hates the basically Twitter, hates the internet. The internet. Twitter, any yeah. sort of social media. Yeah. He hates what's ha- he hates Europe. <laughs> Like, yes. He's like, Europe's owned by banks, and Europe's cats? terrible. He hates cats. Is that true? I wouldn't be surprised. Well, because they kill birds. He loves birds. He's obsessed mm-hmm. exactly. with birds. He's obsessed with cool, rare birds oh in God. Central Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also, he, there was an enormous story in 2001 when Oprah asked him to be part of the Oprah Book Club, went on her show, and then sort of reneged it. It was like, I take the, no, I'm going to take this back because... I don't want that emblem on the cover because I want men 
to read this book. And if uh, my book has that sticker on the front, it's going to alienate men from reading it. There is mm-hmm. this assumption, and, and I'm paraphrasing that men watch football and play golf and don't read, and women are readers. And he wanted to push this book towards, he's like, I want men to read my book. And he got so obviously so much fucking shit for that, yeah. um, and also threw away millions of dollars. Like if your if your book is chosen to be on the Oprah Book Club, mm-hmm. you're you're home you're set you're home mm-hmm. free just as yeah. long as you didn't lie about shit like what's his name did and had to get Fry get, yeah, yeah, yeah James yeah, Fry yeah um, uh, so he was like no it doesn't matter I don't want the money I want I don't want that sticker which says this is a this is chiclet basically is what he was. I'm assuming is what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of authors have sort of pushed back against him because of that and because of his behavior. What, what, what did you guys, what do you guys think about that? Do you think he has a point or do you think he's a total asshole? Uh, yeah. Or is there a middle I mean, ground? Mm, I can kind of see where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. I think just because when I think of the Oprah Book Club, I just think of an audience of women yelling. And so... Um, <laughs> Maybe, but I, I don't know. It's not like he wrote a predominantly female or male-centric book. I mean... No. And both men and women get it pretty good in this yeah. book. Yeah. The, I think he's, all these characters are equally terrible. I, I don't, yeah, I don't they're equally horrible. Yeah, I guess I don't quite... I don't see his his side of, I, I, want, I really want men to read this book because yeah. all they do is play golf and fish I, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I think from like a purely like I don't want the sticker on the front of it part like that I can kind of get behind. It's almost like somebody not wanting like the movie tie-in cover of the book. But there was yeah, definitely yeah. like a I don't hmm. want to be associated with the Oprah brand part of it, which is basically saying – I'm a snob. I'm a snob. Um, I'm too good for this and right. women. And also it's a little bit of that, especially since this kind of was his breakout novel – um, th- there's something a little ungrateful about, you know, yeah. think about all of the people who would kill oh to my have that sticker. Right. Yeah, I think some of it maybe has to do with, uh, and I think you and I talked about this when we ran into the bookstore the other day. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that um, it, I think it's a great book. Mm-hmm. and But it's not a, uh, it's a pretty straightforward novel. And we talked about him being very good friends with David Foster Wallace. And I think mm-hmm. that, there's a part of him that would want to be seen in that light more than sure. accepted by the mainstream. Well, part of light. you has to love yeah. him for being a crank. Like, they don't yeah. make yes. literary assholes anymore. No. And he's just yeah. like, he's way up there. Yeah, he's totally. in the pantheon of dicks. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Like, uh, Norman Mailer died. Yeah, and then, I was going to yeah. say. Have, it's like Franz and us to be the, the one who's at the cocktail party now I just bombing Franzen. everybody out. Exactly. Yeah. We're like, oh, that guy's such a fucking yeah. asshole. <laughs> like, I, I would never want to go to a ball game with yeah. Jonathan yeah. Franzen. No. He'd suck no. the fucking life yeah. out of yeah. anything. Thing. I want him to now make uh, unwatchable movies like Norman Mailer did, where he gets <laughs> beat up by Rip Torn. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen that clip? No, no. In the 70s, Norman Mailer wanted to be a film director. Mm-hmm. So he made, I think, three films that are unwatchable. Right. And th- they weren't written. They were all just improvised. Oh, boy. And in one of them, it's called Maidenstone. Uh, it's him and Rip Taylor. Oh, God. And there's a scene where they're supposed to have... No, wait. Rip Torn. Not yeah. Rip Taylor. <laughs> right. I was but like, very, Rip Taylor with the confetti. That's a cooler wow. movie. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very different scene yeah. uh, once yeah. I describe it. But him and Rip Torn are having the scene, and they're supposed to be like arguing and getting into a fight. Well, Rip Torn really goes for it right. and, and hits him over the head with a hammer. Oh, shit. At and, least he didn't stab him in the boob. Yeah. Yeah. And then they... <laughs> That's what Norman Mailer likes to do to people. Yeah. yeah. And then the and the cameras are still rolling. And then they are just on the ground trying to kill each other. <laughs> oh and Mailer's god. wife and kids are there. Right. And they're all screaming. It's really unnerving. Oh, God. But, but who I, are they rooting for, though? Great question. Yeah. 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 I think we know the answer to and that. And then Rip Taylor comes in and throws confetti. <laughs> Yay, boys! <laughs> Woo! Um, yeah. Fran- so Franzen has a sort of like checkered history with um, with... Like the literati and just people who like books. Like if you read his uh, his uh, his interviews, there some of them are tough to swallow. Yeah. Um, so he's a bit insufferable, but I also think he's a a brilliant writer. 
and and s- similar in, in sort of ways to, to David Foster Wallace, but in my opinion, a lot more accessible, mm-hmm. and writes. Um, and has this, I mean, I, this, the three novels that he's written have all revolved around family and the sprawl of family and how families are complicated and painful and wonderful and difficult. And I have to say, after reading this book, I am so thankful for my family and how like cool my mom is mm-hmm. and how like wonderful my brother and sister are. And like, I just, I love my dad. Like, I was just reminded like of how lucky I am because mm. you see little bits of your own life at least I did I saw little bits of my own life throughout this book throughout the 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 three children but never but I you know never to the extreme of their behavior but I it was a reminder that oh god it could be it could be a lot a lot harder yeah I I, I saw a lot it's so Midwestern. Yes, it is. It's so Midwestern. Yeah. My mom is a lot like yeah. Enid. Right. Yeah. It was a little, it was a little uh, scary. Yeah. yeah. Kind of shock of recognition in there a lot. That, like, that one scene where I think it's Denise goes downstairs in the basement and there's just all that crap that hasn't been touched or yeah. moved in years and yes. old food. And I was like, oh, I know where that is in my own basement. Yeah. Right. The passage yeah. with the Christmas lights and the yeah. shotgun, it's like the oh, most yeah. Yeah. evocative thing. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Did you guys feel, and maybe this is my own anxiety that I have in my life, but this book made me anxious. It made me feel anxious. And I'd be reading a passage and I'd start to feel some low-grade anxiety start trickling up. And I was like, why are you, why are you feeling anxious right now? Why are you, why are you worried? The it's scary okay. portions, for sure, uh, yeah. made you feel legitimately. I love that section so much. I think so it's much. probably the most, or one of the most, uh, like, vivid descriptions of being depressed. Oh, my yeah. God. That you've ever felt. Absolutely. Like, if you weren't ever depressed to begin with, you're like, oh, my God. That's what it is. Horrifying. Oh yeah. God, him, him, like all those n- numbers in his head and the descriptions of the levels. Mm-hmm. Like, well, everything's fine if I just do this and I just do yeah. this, and and his relationship with his kids and his wife. Mm-hmm. I so loved reading that, even though it was hard to take. I thought it was so. I I just think that some writers like are just they're more sensitive than the average human, mm-hmm. and I feel like in those passages, Franzen is able to like drill down so deep and get to like the real, un unspoken minutia of what it means to be in a marriage, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the way that his wife was behaving and pitting his kids against him, and poor Jonah, <laughs> I mean just and I saw that I can see that kid he is like burned in my brain, yeah. I have a very specific <laughs> yeah. image of what he looks like. But that whole entire passage uh, in the middle of the book, to me, was one of my favorite sections because I just thought it was so, even though it was anxiety-inducing, I loved that it was giving me anxiety because mm-hmm. I was like, well, this, is, this means this, this writing is good is because I'm having a response to it. Yeah. And in that section where Gary is not letting go that he watched his wife limp <laughs> beforehand. Oh, it's great. It's interesting Amazing. because in the, middle, in, the, in the beginning, I was like, yeah, just, just admit it to the wife, you know, or, you know, just say like, right. yeah, yeah, I hurt myself. Right. And then towards the whole end of that passage, I was like, Gary, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Right. Let it go. Right. And let he, it go. And his whole thing throughout this whole book is doesn't let anything go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just, it's a, it's a grip that he has. And, and the fact that he says to her, sorry to cut you off, mm-hmm. but I'm really excited. The, the, the fact that he says to her when he finally gives, when he says, I surrender, yeah. Yeah. I surrender. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, it's like, it's a war. And, well, yeah. there's, a and there's good the end, in evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he's asking Enid for like $4 F- for dollars. Oh my yeah. God. And it said there's some $4, line of, yeah. yeah, she took great pleasure in knowing that she was going to yeah. go to her grave without right. giving it to him. Yeah. And I'm <sighs> like, there's some agency on her part. Yeah, like, he's just such an asshole. No, that's not a Midwestern thing. I've heard. Uh, my mom owes me some money. <laughs> <laughs> she owes you five dollars. Just, re- just reminded yeah. me for yeah. six old bolts. For six yeah. bolts. <laughs> I want fantastic. to. My favorite section in the um, in the Gary uh, section of the book, which is on page two twenty nine, um, when he's when he slowly is when he's slowly giving into his depression, he starts drinking. And then he decides to trim the hedges with the power yeah. hedger. <laughs> and you know this is going to happen. You know he's going yeah. to split his fucking hand open. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, that happens. And 
he's bombed and half of the sh- shrubs are trimmed and he comes in and um, there's a there's an earlier passage where they talk about Caleb, their most precocious whining jerk of a son wanting uh, the surveillance. a surveillance mm-hmm. system, yeah. which is fucking insane. And his mother saying yes to everything that this kid wants because she comes from money. And he's drunk and he goes into the house. I just want to read this a little bit. Um, By holding the vodka bottle in his right armpit, he was able to unscrew the cap with his left hand. And as he was raising the bottle, as he was tilting his head to make a late, small withdrawal from the rather tiny balance that remained, his gaze drifted over the top of the cabinet door and he saw a camera. The camera was the size of a deck of cards. It was mounted on on a altazimuth, altazimuth? Bracket above the back door. Its casing was of brushed aluminum. It had a purplish gleam in its eye. Gary returned the bottle to the cabinet, moved to the sink, and ran water in a bucket. The camera swept 30 degrees to follow him. <laughs> he wanted to rip the camera off the ceiling, and failing that, he wanted to go upstairs and explain to Caleb the dubious morality of spying, and failing that, he at least wanted to know how long the camera had been in place. But since he had nothing to hide now, any action he took against the camera, any objection he made to its presence in the kitchen, was bound to strike Caleb as self-serving. He dropped the bloody, dusty guest towel in the bucket and approached the back door. The camera (laughs) reared up in its bracket to keep him centered in its field. He stood directly (laughs) below it and looked looked into its eye. He shook his head and (laughs) mouthed the words, No, Caleb. (laughs) Naturally, the camera made no response. Gary realized now that the room was probably mic'd for sound as well. He could speak to Caleb directly, but he was afraid (laughs) that if he looked up into Caleb's proxy eye and (laughs) heard his own voice and let it be heard in Caleb's room. The result would be an intolerably strong upsurge in the reality of what was happening. He therefore shook his head again and made a sweeping motion with his left hand, a film director's cut. Then he took the bucket from the sink and swabbed the front porch. Amazing. That fucking I just, I know HBO made a failed pilot of this that I think Noah Baumbach was behind. Mm-hmm. But watching that, I just thought, well, they, ha- they have to make the miniseries just to see that fucking That's scene. That's amazing. I couldn't, I was fucking dying laughing in yeah. my fucking living room. Reading I, I love that the whole family is, that his whole family is on him. Yeah. Like they know, they've got this guy pegged. Yeah. From knowing that he's depressed. Completely. To their own little like inside jokes of like this jerk off. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that. I, yeah. Go ahead. Because there's there's definitely a theme through the whole book about secrets. Everyone has things that they're keeping from each other. Yeah. You know, uh, Denise being a lesbian. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Alfred's always constantly working downstairs by himself. And so just that moment, like his family just ha- just has has his number. And it just yeah. eats him alive. Yeah, yeah. And he probably knows it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, everyone does have their secrets that they're hiding from one another. And that's not a Midwestern thing. That's just like a family thing, I'm assuming. Sure. Um, but uh, I, a couple other things that jumped out at me um, that I I wrote down on this book was that um, I really loved the description. Um, the, the opening paragraph, to me, in a way, kind of... <clears throat> uh, encapsulates his writing and and and, and I'm, I'm it's a reach but if I may it sort of does it does two things at once it's poetic and also really simple he says very simple easy things that you can picture in his in his in your mind and then he also is poetic and kind of pushes the limits um and the first paragraph of a book is obviously very important um I'll just read it. The madness of an autumn prairie cold front coming through. You could feel it. Something terrible was going to happen. The sun low in the sky, a minor light, a cooling star. Gust after gust of disorder. I'm going to stop right there. Even then, it's very foreboding, but he's not talking about, he's talking about weather, but it's also like, what does it mean? The sun low in the sky, a minor light, a cooling star. I guess the sun is literally cooling because it's Mm -hmm. lowering the sky. A uh, gust after gust of disorder. Why, like, why that word? I mean, like, it's, it's to me, it's poetry in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the trees restless, temperatures falling, the whole northern religion of things coming to an end. No children in the yards here. And then he throws in that sentence, which is, that tells a very specific story of like what neighborhood this is mm. and where we are. I love that he does both. And then continuing, uh, uh, shadows lengthening on a yellow, yellowing zoysia. I don't know what that is. Red oaks and pin oaks and swamp white oaks rained acorns on houses with no mortgage. Storm windows shuddered in the empty bedrooms, and the drone and hiccup of a clothes dryer, the nasal contention of a leaf blower, the ripening of local apples in a paper bag. That's fucking great. The smell of the gasoline with which Alfred Lambert had cleaned the paintbrush from the morning painting of the wicker love seat. I just think it's a beautiful opening paragraph, and I know a lot of people go into bookstores and like read the first page and sort of make a uh, pronouncement of whether or not they're going to like. And for me, like I love that open, because I, I can't have all poetry. No. I can't have all dreamscapes. Mm -hmm. I need fucking tangible shit. And ripening apples, the houses that don't have mortgages, kids are not in the yards. I just, I don't know, it seems like he, he balances both things, and I think that's great. Yeah. It's gorgeous, but it also, starts off so tense and foreboding and the thing with the no children in the yards is like something from a horror movie and it just <laughs> never lets up the entire time funny yeah 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 totally yeah and yeah you're right and it doesn't stop yeah it and doesn't it, well, stop kind of like that thing of since winter is coming it's colder the the light goes mm -hmm. a lot earlier like the children are forced to be home yeah which is also kind of what happens in the own this family yeah they have to be home yeah totally I mean the first the first chapter like you said doesn't give up it just mm -hmm. keeps on fucking coming at you. In the mm -hmm. second page, um, the anxiety of coupons in a drawer containing candles in designer autumn colors. The coupons were bundled in a rubber band, and Eden was realizing that their expiration dates, often jauntily circled in red by the manufacturer, lay months and even years in the past. That these hundred-odd coupons, whose total face value exceeded $60, potentially $120 at the Chiltsville supermarket that doubled coupons, had all gone bad. Tylex, 60 cents off. Excedrin PM, a dollar off. The dates were not even close. The dates were historical. The alarm bell had been ringing for years. Like, fucking A. Like, that is such a beautiful build. When it gets to the end, it, mm. it fucking mm -hmm. ends with a smash. And I just, I, I don't know, those kinds of paragraphs are, th like, throughout this um, book, and I, I love that. We're going to take a very brief break and talk about what happened to Denise's sexuality. It's reading aloud. We'll see you in a minute. Today's episode is sponsored by Road Trip Nation, and they've got an awesome new book coming out. It's called Roadmap, the get-it-together guide for figuring out what to do with your life. Are you lost? Do you hate your job? Are you miserable? Do you want to be sad all the time? Do you, have you wanted to follow a passion, but you didn't know how? Well, this book can help you figure out what to do to get a career doing what you want to do. It's full of self-discovery activities and wisdom from people who figured it out. People like Marvel's chief creative officer, uh, chefs, sports journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. Questlove, Richard Linklater, Ira Glass, Wanda Sykes, and even a, a food scientist from Jelly Belly, that's hilarious, are just some of the people you'll find in this book. It's a great mix obviously, of aspirational and, and pragmatic ideas that can help you start paying the bills by doing what matters to you. So you can order Roadmap at theonlybookyouneed.com. So go check it out and take a closer look and grab some inspiration. That's theonlybookyouneed.com. Hey, it's uh, act two of Reading Aloud. Nate Cordry, Julian Smolinski, Mike Postolakis, we're here sitting around a table, talking about Jonathan Franzen's The Corrections, and I wanted to ask you guys which um, member of the family that you most, maybe, yeah, most related to, or found the most relatable, whether or not it has anything to do with your own life, but that you gave a pass to, that you said, oh, they're insufferable in these ways, but I guess I can see where they're coming from, or did no one in the family <laughs> garner good vibes from you? Uh, I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, there are parts of, well, I don't want to say there are parts of yourself that you can see in all of the characters because I don't want to put yes. that on you guys. But I think, um, like we, I had said to you in an email, there are parts like whenever I felt like I'm failing really, really badly to the point where I'm like hiding it from my family or I'm just barely keeping my shit together. It's that 
scene with Chip where he's stealing fish. Oh, it's great. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so fucking he's great. He's such an idiot and like chasing his he can't he can't catch a cab to go chase his married girlfriend because he doesn't have that much money in his checking uh, account and uh, he's already begged his sister for money. Oh, like God, just it's great. feeling like a dirt bag like that. Mm. But also like I mean, you know, I I've, I've got four siblings. So I think that you always have that situation where you feel like the one who's being saint like like Denise yeah, or yeah, yeah. or you're putting up with everybody like Gary and you're the only one who gives a fuck about anything and everybody else is like, you know, so kind of everybody. I want to say Denise just because she's, I think, the least horrible and she's a girl. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's me. She's certainly the least horrible. Yeah. If you're ranking in the horrible draft, yeah. she's picked last. <laughs> she's, yeah. In my opinion. What mm-hmm. do you think, Mike? I um, I related a lot to Chip, actually. Uh-huh. And I don't find him very horrible. I think mm-hmm. he's just very... Uh, and I love the arc of his story. Mm-hmm. I think it's fucking great of this guy who wants nothing but to be the outsider of his own family. And then kind of realizes, like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm just like this old man. And then he loves me. The, that moment towards the end yeah, when Alfred walks in, and every, it says, like, every time Alfred looks at Chip, mm-hmm. yeah. he just gives him a smile. And when he even calls his name for help, even when he's not in the house, yeah, yeah. that he has that relationship And then, with you know, Chip. when Chip returns from uh, Lithuania and needs clothes, he's putting on yeah. Alfred's clothes. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And then – and it, that was – to me, I'm, that, that's my favorite part of the book, of this father and son relationship. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And you see the kind of freedom Chip gets once he realizes that his father really loves him. Yeah. And towards the end, it's like, you know, he's able to get married. Yeah. They even make that kind of very one-line uh, description of when he comes home to visit when Alfred's, you know, in the— uh, nursing home, yeah. Minus those awful earrings, right? You know, he kind of has <laughs> right. shed what because even in the beginning, I, I, there's that line that says, uh, "Chip, Chip preferred because uh, he's like what a queer <laughs> theories." Yeah, he dated a that, the girl. I think yeah. the girl that he dated in college for all those years was a queer, queer theorist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or something. Yeah, but it said that he he uh, preferred queer theory to queer practice. Like, so he doesn't even kind of buy into everything that he right. is supposedly preaching. Right, right. And and the, yeah, the girl that he has the affair with. Yeah. God, he, what a great fucking That's a great pages. that's a great yeah. those twenty pages are yeah. like lightning. And in the hotel when she describes how close she is to her parents and yes. he and he just can't oh, fathom totally. yeah, yeah, he can't absolutely. fathom at all. Yeah. And that this girl takes basically takes care of her father during the separation of him and his wife. And Chip just can't like yeah. wrap his brain around like that. Like you child. But like, ends up becoming yeah. that person. Ends up becoming the guy that visits the home. Goes to see Albert the most, all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Stays there for six months. Yeah. I love that he said, I think he says, before it's revealed that he does come back and he stays and helps his dad. He's like, I can only be here for three days, dad. Or so yeah. I got to get back to New York. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to get back to. But he, uh, you sense, ah, oh, it's just going to be Samuel Chip. And then- you love it that it's revealed, not from Chip's perspective, but I think from Enid's perspective yeah. at the end, mm-hmm. that he comes back and he stays yeah. for weeks yeah. and helps his dad and is and is selfless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is, all these people are so selfish. And you see that moment where even though it's, it's still Chip, mm-hmm. he has this level of selflessness. And that ending is earned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like I was, I mean, I'm getting fucking chills yeah. right now thinking about it. Are you and talking about when... When his dad was like, kill me. Yeah, yeah. I can't. And he's like, yeah. I can't, dad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and he saw, and it's just, oh, fucking freaking out. Uh, <laughs> I love this book. This book made me feel. Um, he says, uh, I think it's from Alfred's, yeah. Even red-eyed, even tear-streaked, Chip's face was full of power and clarity. Here was a son whom he could trust to understand him as he understood himself. And so Chip's answer when it came was absolute. Chip's answer told him that this was where the story ended. It ended with Chip shaking his head. It ended with him saying, I can't, Dad. Mm -hmm. I can't. 
That's amazing. It, amazing. It's incredible. Fucking devastating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how devastating, and how, like, and people have trouble reading this, I get, because it's 550 pages, mm-hmm. and it can be dense, and when he describes things, he sometimes takes four pages to describe, like the description of the, of the, um, of the new restaurant that Denise was building. Yeah. They spent like four pages on yeah. just like, um, like architectural theory. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, and I get why people are turned off by that, but like, because it's so long, I think that's what it 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 makes that ending with Chip all the more moving because this because it's there's you get to see this entire relationship and the same thing. I feel the same way about the reveal that he knew about Denise Denise having that fling with that yeah. guy, yeah. and oh god, just seeing her running down and looking up under the. Bench yeah, and yeah, it's a that, great scene. Oh yeah. my god, it's just like you feel you so feel all, all of a sudden it's sort of redeeming. You're like, oh, Alfred was just trying to protect his daughter. Yeah, yeah, and it cost him. It cost him almost everything. Mm-hmm. He lost his pension. He lost his job. Mm-hmm. His entire life after that was was was. Um, like he had, he was like fighting with one hand tied behind his back because he didn't have the pension that he expected, and and he was protecting his daughter. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that all of those really kind of frustratingly baroque passages where he writes about something in such detail that you kind of start to get frustrated yeah. when there is something like that, like the Denise moment under the bench, or um, at the end when he just comes out and says that Alfred tries to hang himself with a sheet. Yeah. When those yes. sentences, it's like getting like one hit sentence. with something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it makes the the blunt force so much more blunt. Totally. It's incredible. You're yeah. exactly mm-hmm. right. You're exactly right. And that is one sentence, mm-hmm. and it breezes right past. Yep. It's like it's kind of taps you in the shoulder. Hey, this also happened. Yeah. Like, holy yeah. shit. Like and you he's going to write about architecture for five pages and then a really emotional, impactful thing he just says in one sentence. Yeah. It's like I, incredible. I, I wonder if that, like that must, that takes supreme confidence as a writer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you guys are both writers. I'm assuming like at some point. I wouldn't call myself friends and level, but. <laughs> well, like, maybe not, but you guys are writers and you have to craft stories and get your point across. I'm mm-hmm. assuming it's hard to when you officially let your baby go, like, have I done enough? Because I feel something. I've tried to put my feelings in my brain mm-hmm. down on a piece of paper for mm-hmm. other people to read and to feel what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that takes, that's scary, yes, yeah. to let that go? Oh, yeah. I mean, incredibly scary. And I think he, I, I did a little research about this book. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I found was he had tried to write it years before and he locked himself in a cabin in Santa Cruz and Jonathan, Jonathan, if you're listening, if this part isn't true, you know, email us and correct it, but <laughs> yeah. he, reading loud podcast at yeah, yeah. gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And he, um, so the story goes that he sat at the typewriter or computer or whatever he used, blindfolded himself and put in earplugs and just wrote. And he wrote for like two years and he produced Holy like maybe shit. 200 some pages. What? This is bananas. Yeah, and wrote and, and produced like two hundred some pages, of which he only kept maybe twenty, and then started again. So I think, uh, I think that's oh, what that he was a searching hell for. Of a what a bizarre yeah. origin there. But Jesus. I think that goes. He was. That's what he was searching for. Was that kind of like I'm going to put it all down on paper, yeah. everything. Right. Well, and I read something where, I mean, it's kind of funny to read reviews because the reviewers aren't even 100% sure what they're working with half the time and what's intentional and what isn't. And hmm. there's so many kind of weird for a, a fairly kind of realistic family drama and straightforward yeah. family drama. There are all these little kinds of Dickensian flourishes with the silly names and the things that are almost like like Don Armour that are so blunt and right. so like ridiculously like – <laughs> you know, that you you realize that he's playing with you, but then there are times when it's totally not clear whether or not this is something that is skillful or that you're projecting or, you know, I mean, obviously he's incredibly talented, but in some review I read that someone said that the novel is purposely difficult to get into because Chip says that thing about how modernists thought that you should have to earn the point of entry right, right. into the novel. And you're like, right. did he really like, is he the puppet master? Right, or, right. You know, it's, I mean, that's a very specific sentence to include in your book. specific. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And you start thinking of like some certain scenes of like, why am I reading this? Mm-hmm. Like the, um, the mm-hmm. cruise ship stuff with the couple are they Swedish I can't remember but they yeah, yeah. their, their yeah. daughter yeah. was murdered oh what Sylvia. the fuck was that 
But you, what a crazy fuck! Yeah, why? I why? Mean, is, I, I want to talk about that. My yeah. feeling was that that was Enid learning to unburden herself. Yeah, it's like, like right. Western repression versus like the yeah. European woman who wants to talk about everything. Yeah, and you right. see that kind of turn in her where huh. she becomes more independent, more like. You see her conflicted, and yeah. you see her when she leaves, thinking, "Oh God, maybe I should rush back and tell her that I'm that I'm disappointed with my kids." Yeah, yeah. Chip, we really didn't have lunch with Chip. Like even right. small yeah. white lies. He doesn't lies. work at the Wall yeah. Street Journal. Like it's all. But she is. She's figured it all out. Right. She just yeah. needs to hear it herself. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you think that that entire passage about the woman talking about their daughter being murdered and her husband moving on from it was. To, Franzen put that in there to show, to give Enid, um, for Enid to respond to and to show us that Enid was growing maybe? Well, or like, I, I think so, but I also think it was, you know, she is very concerned with everybody else's business. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's constantly talking yeah. about the neighbors and their rich kid and where they're flying and yeah. the shrimp cocktail that was two stories. <laughs> Pyramids of shrimp. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that party. I love that. Oh, Every, so hilarious. Everything that she talks about is everything's happy, everything's good. Yeah. yeah. And so here's this woman that she's connected with who has a devastating story. And I think that yeah. Enid, um, it made me honestly think of one of my favorite scenes in a movie ever, which is Fargo. In Fargo, when, uh, what's Frances McDormand's character? When she has dinner yeah. with that, um, with the Asian oh, gentleman. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's so great. That most people are like, why... Why is that scene in the movie? Right. But mm -hmm. when she finds out that he has lied about all that, like right. his wife. What's his name? Mike Tanaka? Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, she, when she's like, oh, I, you know, such a shame about his wife. And that the person she's talking to is like, no, his wife's still alive. Like, mm -hmm. she, that's when she puts it together that, oh, my God, like, people lie. Right. People, I'm, I'm, I'm a police chief, and it's been blind to me that people mm -hmm. can yeah, just yeah, yeah. Right. look you right in the eye right. and tell you an uh, untruth. Right, yeah. right. And that's when she decides to go back to interview Bill Macy. Anyway. That's like the turning point of that. For me, that whole cruise ship was the turning point of Enid's story. And that's great. And yeah. when and when Alfred falls, I think they even talk about she wasn't embarrassed. She wasn't embarrassed that yeah. people were being inconvenienced and and all that. Well, also I think cause there's that passage where she wasn't ashamed. She's like, yeah. I'm not ashamed about this. But then like the next sentence, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no longer high as a yeah. fucking yeah. kite. Yeah. <laughs> ecstasy yeah, basically. That's that doctor scene I didn't understand. When the doctor kept mispronouncing her name and calling her by the wrong name. Yeah. And she, and she she seemed like the normal yeah. person with that, that entire interaction was like, what? Like, I guess he's being vague because he can't come out and tell her what it is because it's illegal. But I didn't know why they kept on going back and forth. Maybe Franzen was trying to be funny with this doctor, like calling her by her the wrong name every time. But I, I was I don't know why. This yeah. doctor sounds like a, like a pretend person. It, it, it just read to me like uh, just trying to be a funny scene. Like yeah. with yeah. that and with the funny names, that, that that's the little bit of pinch on that I yeah. see in, in this book. Well, I, like for, cor correct all is the name of yeah. the drug that they're, which is really funny. Yeah. Right. I, I like that um, <clears throat> there are moments that he's trying to be funny, maybe there where I didn't laugh. And then this moment <clears throat> that you talked about, um, which is on page 97, that a salmon fillet was now spreading down into Chip's underpants like a wide, <laughs> warm slug did seem to have everything to do with his brain and with a number of poor de decisions that this brain has made. Rationally, Chip knew that Doug would let him go soon and that eventually he might even escape the nightmare of consumption and find a restaurant bathroom where he could take the fillet out and regain his full critical faculties that there would come a moment when he was no longer standing amid pricey gelati with lukewarm fish in his pants and that this future moment would be a moment of extraordinary relief but for now he still inhabited an earlier much less pleasant moment from the vantage point of which a new brain looked like just the ticket <laughs> that whole entire passage it's of him incredible. spotting her and then moving and then running into her husband I just thought was it's so fucking great another detail about that the chips uh, section which I love is when he goes to to see his ex-girlfriend and uh, it's pouring rain and what's his name is there the um, Lithuanian dude Ganidis Ganidis yeah. Ganidis yeah and it's revealed that the agent um, her daughter 
is drawing on drawing the screenplay. On. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the screenplay is amazing. And it's and I, I forget how it's described, but it says like he uses his shoe to kind of just like turn it over. Yeah, and, he, and, just, and then it shows one line, one insufferable, terrible line from that yeah. screenplay. It just kind of folds it back it's on. It's amazing. His, okay, I'm gonna go to Lithuania tonight. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought that whole passage was just fucking hilarious. Let's talk about Denise, shall we? Um, love her. I love her love too. Her. She's great. She's great. Mm-hmm. She's great. And even when she physically punches her lover in the face, yeah, I'm still okay. Yeah. with her because she's going through a hard time. Yeah, she's figuring it out. I thought she was. I don't know. I mean, she's also the first one that comes in the least crazy. She's like the when she sees Chip on the street, like where the fuck are you going? Mm-hmm. Our parents are upstairs, and then. When she goes up and like makes lunch for them, for her parents, she's the she's the eye of that crazy storm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she has her own stuff come up, obviously. But all the stuff about her life as a chef in Philadelphia, I found fucking fascinating. fascinating. Made me hungry. It made yeah. me yeah. And Franzen did a, a lot of like research into food and how restaurants are run. Maybe he has a background or something, but mm-hmm. all that stuff I totally bought. Yeah, I didn't think he was just like pulling that shit out of his ass. I thought that was no. I think it was great. all. All, and you know the fact that the restaurant that she opens, I thought it was interesting that it was in, I think a coal mine or something like that. What was it in? It was uh, in a like a some sort of power, yeah, yeah. power planner industrial space. I mean, yeah. no, the restaurant was called Generator. Yeah, mm. yeah. But it just plays on that theme of old technology versus new, mm. which I thought was interesting. yeah, right, right. Alfred right. worked at the railroad of of all things. And, yeah, yeah. And you know, Chip literally makes his money in a fake something that doesn't yeah. exist yeah exactly I, I think that whole the whole Lithuania bit is like Franzen Incredible. just saying how this is yeah. all a fucking sham yeah. and meanwhile the dad was like a railroad engineer which is like like the steam engine you can aside from being in the industrial revolution you can't exactly you can more like, an, like when that. they make yeah. toys for children to be like this is something that is American yeah. and is this example, mm-hmm. like this, is an example of work and effort. This is like yeah. a choo-choo train. It's incredible. Like Alfred is l- like laying fucking <laughs> track, yeah. yeah, to help the country. And, and all of his kids have these like future non-jobs, basically. Basically, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the whole Denise stuff. The way that she described, I won't read the whole thing now because it's too long. But the way she describes um, sex as cooking, mm-hmm. that passage is fucking genius like mm-hmm. talking about orgasms and coming and how like it's all described in this sort of like how you plate the yeah. dish and how the you need to get the heat going which could a, be so bad if yes in, in the, the wrong hands, hands. Yes. anybody yeah. else you're totally right yeah. you're yeah. totally mm-hmm. fucking right yeah. what's the bad version of that I mean oh it'd be God. like oh my like water for chocolate like any yeah, of right, those right, like right, right. you know people sensually rubbing oils under their hands right that kind of yeah, shit. yeah 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 this was so smart yeah, it was really and, well but like very sensual, but like very funny too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just that, that pass, which is on four fourteen. If you're reading at home, that passage I thought was just fucking brilliantly yeah, it's written. And I don't know how you shoot that if you make the movie of this book. I don't think you can. Yeah, someone can figure it out. I guess yeah, I guess you can figure it out. But oh man, um, I mean, they, I, I they've been trying but... for a really long time. The if you if you look on the any of the stuff about how many adaptations they tried to make of this and all the different people who are attached to the projects at different yeah. periods of time. It's yeah. like maybe one of those it's, unproducible things. Yeah, it's right. interesting. It seems really just perfect for HBO, yeah. doesn't it? It does. And it like, does. I think they tried to make it as a series, but it's like, this is, this is five episodes or yeah. 10 yeah. episodes. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Do, do 10, yeah. like make it as a mini series and mm-hmm. like milk every fucking inch out of it. But they just haven't been able to figure out how to do it. Unfortunately. But yeah, I, can we can we talk about Denise and Robin a little bit? Yeah, I'm absolutely. Really interested oh, fuck, yeah. in that in that uh, that dynamic. Yeah, yeah, and how she changes. Um, yeah, that scene at the kitchen table when she hits her and basically pushes her away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then didn't she? Doesn't it say like she immediately wanted her back? Yeah, which I yes. thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, she physically had the anger to to hit her, and then as, so, as soon as she so walked, she out, left the door. Yeah, she had the, that that raw feeling of wanting her, want, wanting her back. Because she's definitely her father's daughter, yeah. which is interesting. And she talks about Alfred's love is about keeping arm's length, mm-hmm. about giving you your own, yeah, privacy. privacy. Yeah, mm-hmm. privacy. And totally. what Robin was doing was the was basically Enid, right? I mean, yeah. she was saying, "I'll come and help. I'll do this. I'll the kids want to see you." And all Denise wanted to be have that like kind of. Oh. Let's, 
yeah, yeah, it's that same thing. And then at the end when um, Enid finally is able to kiss Alfred when she wants to because he can't move anymore. But that's like their same relationship. That thing where one person is constantly like reaching out for the other person whose way of showing affection is is retracting. Being in the other room. Yeah, being in the other room. (laughs) Yeah. Which, I mean, that's just such a thing that you never really read about written very well. I mean, that's a real thing that people do in relationships. They retreat as a way of expressing that they love somebody. Yeah, and right. that, mm-hmm. that is very Midwesterner. Yes. That is there's an mm-hmm. old like joke about the Midwestern husband loved his wife so much he almost told her. <laughs> you know, right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and that, fantastic. And that right. joke yeah. kept popping into my head mm-hmm. anytime yeah. Alfred was on on the page. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And it's funny I like dif- talking about the Midwest, different characters have different responses. Like Gary is just like such a fucking asshole about yeah. it and sees everyone as fat and terrible and it's awful. And then I think it's, um, I think it's uh, Denise um, who describes, she's talking about um, before Robin, before they've sort of fallen in love, um, um, uh, who had li- uh, Robin Passafaro, who had lived in urban Philly all her life was Midwestern, by which she meant hopeful or enthusiastic or community spirited. Which is all good things. Like Denise's point of view is like, there's lots of, there's good there mm-hmm. as well. Midwestern doesn't mean, you know, whatever it means to mm-hmm. to uh, Gary's character. But I I do like that they both they had different points of view, like of what the Midwest meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and Enid and Alfred, I don't think they had a point of view because they were in it. Well, she starts out kind of viewing Robin from this way where it almost sounds like she hates her and she kind of thinks very disparagingly about, you know, the way that she looks in a she bathing dresses, suit. And, yeah. Yeah, and hair. then you kind of, like, get that that sort of, like, that weird, like, protesting too much. Before you even yeah. really understand that they're going to get together, you kind of get that first tension. It's like that that thing that people have with the Midwest where we – leave and we can't wait to get away but then we really want to go back but I know so many people from Ohio and you know Minnesota and yeah. who talk about like everybody's fucking fat there and you feel like the hottest person in town when you go back and, <laughs> and at the same time it's like this weird love-hate thing where you like it's kind of like a self-loathing sort of yeah I mean it's I always describe people from where I'm from as salt to the earth yeah. but it's also a little it's, yeah. it's it's a double-edged sword you know it's yeah right um. Yeah, and I I I can see both Gary and Denise's point points of view. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. I I found that too about not only like what they how they describe the Midwest, but just like about their their all of their points of view. I I found myself agreeing and then also being like feeling terrible for agreeing with them on certain things. And I love the uh I love the description that like when uh uh. Chip first realizes that he's sort of attracted to Melissa because he's he, at, at the beginning he's very specific about not engaging with her at all, and he sees that she begins to flirt and he's you know and she's always answering her hand and showing up in his office, and it's, it describes that the first time was when he wondered whether her hair color came from a bottle. Yeah. He forced himself to stop thinking about that question, mm-hmm. which was, I thought, was such a beautiful, like, oh. subtle way for him to first wonder about her in a different way besides this, like, annoying, loudmouth student. Mm-hmm. It was whether or not she dyed her hair. And, which is such, like, a quiet, subtle way. It wasn't like, you know, how hot she looked in her jeans or, like, it wasn't yeah. something about her shape or something or, like, her mouth was what blah, blah, blah. It was like whether or not she dyed her hair. But there are some of the greatest descriptions of when they finally start to have sex, which I'm, I'm looking for now. Him, I, now, now it's coming back to me about him fucking sniffing <laughs> that <laughs> fucking recliner. Ugh, oh, Jesus Christ. Franzen is such a perv. Oh, my such God. Just like, yeah. ugh. It's amazing. And that, that like, erotica video that he has <laughs> that then he, like, uh. watches because he's so ashamed of it. And then uh. he's like, no, no, he takes it back and tries oh to replay God. it. Go um, ahead, Mikey. Yeah, There's... but when they, I think they're in, I think they're in the hotel at this point when they take that week-long Yeah, yeah. Trip. Uh, Thanksgiving. Um, uh, even after she had taken off the pants, there was a residue of gender <laughs> confusion on her body, not to mention the rank B.O., uh, but from her underpants, an affectionate warm rabbit came springing. Jesus Christ. I, I love that. Almighty. That's, 
Amazing. There's a <laughs> warm rabbit. I do. Yeah. I think like also like Brian's like enormous cock also yeah. has yeah. a very strange yeah. description as well. And it's saying when like, Denise decides yeah. not to. And and being <laughs> thankful that she didn't. Right, but also like seeing that it's enormous and know that it's going to be like stay oh. in her imagination <laughs> later. It's like, yeah, oh, he, ha- oh. he he really does have everything. Mm. This yeah. big, you know, like golden retriever of a human. <laughs> yeah, the stuff with that whole breakdown of his when he's like sniffing the recliner and then when he forgets his dad's birthday and calls him on the phone too late and he's in bed and his sister is already called saying, you forgot to fucking call on dad's birthday and he's bombed. It's so powerful, like you said before, when he uses just one sentence mm. to describe something. Um uh, as you wish, Alfred said. However, I found that it's usually best to choose one plan and stick with it. If you don't succeed here, you can always do something else. But you've worked many years to reach this point. One more semester's hard work won't hurt you. Right. You can re- relax when you have tenure. Then you're safe. Right. Well, thank you for the call. Right. Happy birthday, Dad. Chip dropped the phone, left the kitchen, and took a Franzic ba- Franzic bottle from by the neck and brought its body down hard on the edge of his dining room table. He broke a second bottle. The remaining six he smashed two at a time, a neck in each fist. And then it just moves on from there. But yeah. I feel like just seeing him drop the phone and just pick it up and go, bam! Like that image, I'm seeing that in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Like you see that scene played out. Because really nobody can drive you crazy like your family. Yeah. Just, yeah. You can't you can't love or hate somebody more than... It's that yes. kind of like weird selfishness that you need to have that like, you know, parents, you have to be annoyed by them on purpose or you would never leave home. Like if yeah. we didn't, if our parents right. didn't make us nuts, we would all be, you know, in basements still. And that these, <laughs> right, right, yeah. And that these people are all tied together, yeah. I think drives themselves crazy. Yeah. Just like mm-hmm. uh, Denise's obligations to call Chip and be like, you need to call home, like yeah. all these things. Yeah. And I, I thought it was really interesting that the... the the kind of um, idea of prison came up, like family mm-hmm. as a prison. Yeah. And that whole- He has that dream about being in prison that- He has a dream of it. I mean, yeah. for Alfred, the whole thing is that he's a prisoner. Mm-hmm. And his whole, I think, arc is just getting freedom from uh, his own body, which yeah. is failing him. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Which he's ashamed of. Right. But, even, but it even goes back way earlier because there's that flashback scene, which is my favorite scene, I think, uh, at the kitchen table and Chip not- eating his vegetables, which is oh, this God. epic scene it of like, yeah. but we all have like childhood notions of like, you got to finish your vegetables, mm-hmm. you know? And he takes that, no, that kind of shared uh, yeah. thing that we all have yeah. and made a scene of it. Oh, that is yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Oh, and, God. Just devastating. And, and, and Alfred, I think is there the whole time just kind of thinking, uh, what's the philosopher? It's uh, Schopenhauer. Yeah, or something. Yeah, talking oh, of God. like yeah. life being a prison, and yeah. that's the only way to get through of it. Of thinking yeah. that you live in a penal colony. It says the first line. I don't, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, but, go, but yeah. he said the first line when they when, when they went on their first date. The first thing he said to her was that. Um, life is about suffering. Oh, yeah. yeah. Every person is suffering. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the first thing he fucking said to her. Amazing. But, but, and then at the end, it's, how do I escape this? Yeah. How do I get out of this yeah. prison mm-hmm. that I've created? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he, he, when he's having delusions, when he's in the home, he sees yeah. it as a prison. Yeah. And yeah. That all of these prisoners are against him. And this, this black prison mm-hmm. guard is mm-hmm. like, got his eye on him and he's not going, mm-hmm. and she's not going to let him free and he can't, but yeah, I think you're right. Like being trapped and feeling that prison is, and I, I, I hadn't heard of that philosopher, whoever that is, mm-hmm. Schopenhauer or something, mm-hmm. but. He was a bummer. Yeah, he seemed yeah, like, like a real. <laughs> oh, you, gonna, invite, you invited him to dinner again? Yeah, right. mm-hmm. I'm going to guess he took his own life, that <laughs> fella. But that description of not him, him not eating his vegetables and how when his dad finally, I think he went downstairs to work on, that was when he was working on the famous patent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He came up, it was night, and Chip had fallen asleep on the yeah. placemat, and he had, and, and he sees that he tried. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he, he ate little bits of everything, like the crust off of the liver, and like one bite of the baby corn or whatever it was. And him lifting him up into his arms and sort of not feeling shame about what happened, but but acknowledging that this was that they were that they were too hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that he's a child. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's that scene or there's that line. 
when Enid knows that it's gone too far. But she's like, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna put it on uh, Alfred's shoulders. Well, that's such and a then, thing and, that I think parents actually have. But you know that you, how do you say like, you can't? There's no, there's a turning point that it's yeah. like, you know, that you can't come back from. And there, yeah. but there's a great line describing, saying like, sometimes being a parent. I, I'm paraphrasing because I can't find it. But a, being a parent is not always the prettiest job. Yeah, right. Because she's just saying like, well, you're gonna be the bad guy mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, we've been talking about Jonathan Friends and the corrections. It's reading aloud, and I wanted to finish up with just sort of some closing thoughts that you guys had overall about your experience reading this book and uh, what your overall sort of point of view about it is. Um, I think that this is I I was so looking forward to uh, picking this up again because this is one of those books that makes you, like you said, it makes you feel things and. It's in almost a way that it's so – I wouldn't call it manipulative, but the way that you it makes mm. you feel is totally involuntary and that it stays with you. It, it would change my mood for the entire day. Yeah. And also, like, once you get into mm. it, you are so gripped by it and you're so a part of this world that it's difficult to even talk about, I think. Um, but there's so much here. And there were parts of it that I really hate, which I think, again, is like I, I really hated all of the like Lithuanian economy stuff. Yeah, like me that. too. There were parts of it where me I just too. was like, oh, my God. But the fact that you're in these incredibly capable hands and in the end, I think that he is just a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike? Yeah, um, I had tried to read this book, I think, years ago mm-hmm. and only got maybe 100 pages in and put it down. Not even really out of, like, uninterest, but I was just like, nah, I'm going to read something else. <clears throat> so I'm really glad that I gave it another go because uh, yeah. he really sticks to the landing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those oh, last God. 50 pages, 100 pages <sighs> are are really, really good. And, yeah. Um, yeah. It's really a funny book, and it's very – very insightful, I think, of each character's psyche. I mean, you get fully formed human beings mm-hmm. on uh, of this family. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, no, I'm going to have to go read his, his other stuff. I want to read – I think you said he had three novels. I think he has four. Oh, really? Yeah, one's called Strong Motion. Yeah. Oh. Which I think got bad reviews, and I think that's the one that he's like, no, I think people are wrong. I think that's my good one. <laughs> oh shit! Good so old friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to uh, sort of reiterate what both of you are saying, specifically Mike. Like this guy finishes like he's a fucking yeah. finisher. Mm-hmm. Those last fifty pages, the entire Christmas um, section is amazing. Um, I was sure that Alfred was going to shoot himself in the face. Uh, I was like, this is the way this book is ending. He's going to walk up into the dining room and blast his head off. And I thankful that he didn't and I'm also I love that it gave that gun in that room allowed uh, both Chip and Gary to have those conversations with themselves saying go ahead go ahead old man do it and then them saying actually no I don't want my mother to see this Mm -hmm. I don't want my mother to see bits of brain on the floor and so don't just walk out into the cold Um, but I love this book I think he is so sensitive and so specific about what it means to be in a family and to me that's that's my 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 favorite stories whether it's movies or books all revolve around family and how it's difficult because it's something we can all relate to and there's so much bliss and so much joy in family and so much heartache and struggle and this book has it all and there are frustrating parts about it specifically for me the Lithuanian stuff is is frustrating and but I feel like it's earned like you get through those sections and then he just rewards you and he doesn't smack you over the head with it he just kind of like subtly slides it to you and you don't know that it's coming and I didn't know I didn't think that this book would end the way that it ended Mm-hmm. And he just sort of cut through the bullshit and cut, left out some poetry and just was like very specific about what happened to these people. And I, th- it's one of my one of, one of my favorites in the last ten or fifteen years. I, I I think he's great, and I understand why people are turned off by him and about this book. But um, I'm a friend's an apologist, and I loved the corrections. Which brings us to the close of today's book club. Thanks so much for listening. And get, I'm pulling it out of my bag right now to show you, my listeners, about what the next book is. It is The Whites 
which is Richard Price's new book, Writing as Harry Brandt, but it's Richard Price. Richard Price um, wrote uh, Lush Life, uh, Freedom Land, Clockers. He's fantastic. I, I don't think there's a better writer out there sort of covering sort of the detective, gritty detective New York scene. He wrote on The Wire for a long time. Uh, and this thing is getting unbelievable reviews. It was on the cover of the Sunday book review last week. Um, and he's great. And I'm going to pose for a picture with Sammy. Take a nice, juicy shot of that. These are different books written <laughs> by different people. Uh, so go out to your local bookstore and get The Whites by Richard Price. And send us your thoughts at readingaloudpodcast at gmail.com. And next week, we'll be back with a new episode, uh, a non-book club episode, just an episode of um, things being read aloud to you. So uh, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Today's sponsor, Roadmap, the get-it-together guide for figuring out what to do with your life. You lost, you hate your job, you always wanted to follow a passion but didn't know how, this book can help you figure it out. It's full of self-discovery activities and wisdom from people who have figured it out. People like Marvel's chief creative officer, professional chefs, sports journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. And you can order Roadmap at theonlybookyouneed.com. So go and do that now with your time. Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.